You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the truth machine here at the conservative conscience conservative review heading towards the end of the week, March 28th on this fine Thursday. You want to hear the truth? You get the truth every time, every day, both at conservativereview.com. We got a lot of articles there, a lot of new news up and certainly behind this important microphone where we slay golden calves seemingly on, on, on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, because seemingly on an hourly basis, every marker we've laid down on this show for the last number of years is proven correct, whether it's on immigration, whether it's on the courts, whether it's on health care, whether it's on the White House, the GOP leadership, and people that you think are good. So to start off the show with our daily golden calf segment, One of the big golden calves that's been worshipped in recent weeks is Dan Crenshaw. There's a lot more attention in conservative media on one freshman versus any other freshman Republican House member. Um, As you all know, you're familiar with Chip Roy, congressman from the San Antonio area of Texas, And I think you understand why we should be excited about him and why he gets it. Um, But you don't hear that much about him in the media, despite all the work he's doing. What you do hear about is Dan Crenshaw from the 2nd District of Texas. That is an area that kind of covers some Houston suburbs. And he was a Navy SEAL. He's got that fleshy patch on his uh, that eye patch, obviously from an injury during his service. And he is the new sensation, the new future leader of conservatism. So I just want you guys to know, and I'm not trying to be mean here. He signed on to Marco Rubio's Ivanka Care bill, calling for. Paid family leave, but it will be out of your social security account because don't worry, we have it secured in Al Gore's lockbox. Your account, you just take the money out and it's not going to cost us a dime. And don't you worry, nobody is going to come back later and say that now that we have the entitlement, we have to expand it and it's going to come even if you took out of your social security funding, we're still going to fund it. So he joined Marco Rubio's bill, co-sponsored by Ann Wagner. Um, There's another bill with Mike Lee and Joni Ernst. To be honest, to to be fair, I haven't even parsed through the differences. But this one I just got in my inbox. Um, The Vice President of Policy and Economics at Independent Women's Voice. Um, A conservative group about a conservative legislation paid parental leave in a fiscally responsible way, being introduced by Senators Marco Rubio and Mitt Romney and Representatives Ann Wagner and Dan Crenshaw. (sighs) You guys know this. I mean, you guys know that certain people excel at really having punchy talking points with the Mueller and the Comey and the this and the that. When it comes to giving a vision on the real issues, not only aren't they part of the solution, they're part of the problem. You understand the Trey Gowdy syndrome, if you remember. I'll never forget when you had Tea Party organizations putting out notices that we need to get rid of John Boehner as speaker and elect Trey Gowdy as speaker. Meanwhile, um, dude, Trey Gowdy was whipping for John Boehner against the rebellion. He was his top lieutenant, uh, top supporter. I'm not going to go too much into this because I just don't like doing it. I don't want to, you know, compromise certain conversations I've had. I'll just tell you, the guy loves Kevin McCarthy, okay? 
He'll have, you know, good lines against Democrats, but if you think he's going to challenge GOP leadership, think again. But picking off where we left yesterday, this is what it means to be a conservative. Now we have the conservative solution, the conservative version, so to speak, of entitlements that haven't even yet been created, that there really is no big clamor to support them. We're not on the hook for them. We're not, um, you know... We're not compelled to be doing this. We have enough programs that we're compelled to deal with, and we were supposed to fix those in a conservative way. Now, I mean, this this is just – I'm already ticking myself off just five minutes into this show. But that's, that's what it is. Ivanka care. This is the new baseline. This is what I talked about yesterday, where Republicans accept the premise of the left. Your problem is right. Your source of the identifying the problem is right. More or less, your direction of the solution is right. Let's just do it in a way that we think will cost a little less temporarily. Rinse and repeat on every single issue, and you understand the modern Whig Party, a.k.a the GOP. You are experts in the GOP now. That's all you need to know. I mean, I get all these notes. Yeah, we really need Dan Crenshaw. Daniel should have Dan Crenshaw on the show. Dude, you'll be very disappointed. You, you, you really don't want me to do that. Not that I think he'll come even if I invited him um, because I'm too right-wing. But... Dude, I, I don't know what to tell you. And and the thing is, like, I want to tell you this. When you create market-distorting programs, it's not just the fiscal cost. So obviously it's BS that it's going to be revenue neutral because you all know that the minute you let this genie out of the bottle, the entitlement is created. Done. Keeping that tethered to your individual social security account, which literally doesn't exist is as tenuous as can be. But the next time Democrats are in power, you're done now. That's taken away. That's weakened. And then again, when that generation of people, let's say in their thirties now, 40 years from now, want to tap their social security and it's depleted from that. There's no way we're not going to have a fix to it and give them social security anyway. You never, ever create a new entitlement without commensurately downsizing or getting rid of another one. But this is what it means to be a conservative. But I'm saying aside from that, even if it literally didn't cost the federal budget a dime, I wouldn't pay for such a thing. The harm it does to the private economy is worse than the budgetary cost. Can you just imagine the cascading labor effects of this free source of incentivizing more time off? It will hurt women by discouraging employers from hiring or promoting women of childbearing age to managerial positions. Because now that they know that they have a mandated by law, they have this new avenue to keep them out. Where it comes from Santa, comes from Phantom Social Security. Let's just see that point for a minute. Wherever it comes from, they're going to get it. This is not conjecture. This is a logical market outcome. We don't need to imagine the effect. Most European countries have paid leave programs. 2013, there was a very comprehensive analysis from the National Bureau of Economic Research. And they found that women in countries with paid leave were half as likely to be managers than in the U.S. because of these market distortions. <laughs> Talk about a glass ceiling for women. You are actually creating that. That's all. That, that's a, you guys are smart in this audience. You get the natural unintended or intended consequences sometimes of government programs. I think it's a great idea that... Women should be just like men. Well, at the end of the day, they're not. At the end of the day, I mean, in decreasing numbers, much to the detriment of our civilization, but they're having fewer kids. Introducing this program to America 
will wind up engendering further government mandates on the labor market to fix the problems it creates of devaluing the utility of hiring women. That's what it's going to do. So you're going to have to have more mandates to fix that. This is the cycle of government. If we had a conservative party in Washington, you know what we'd be doing? We'd be conducting an audit of everything a young couple has to purchase in order to function, whether it's healthcare, cars, housing, food, or fuel. And we'd be pointing to each one where there's a government regulation or market distortion that forces them to pay thousands more a year on vital goods and services. That is a pro-family plan. Healthcare alone is the biggest killer. Another thing it's important to remember, there's something called the Family and Medical Leave Act. Okay, so companies with, uh, under existing law, companies with more than 50 employees are already required to hold open jobs for maternity leave for 12 weeks while maintaining health insurance benefits if they offer it, which, you know, over 50 employees now uh, pursuant to Obamacare, they have to offer it anyway. So the, the requirement, you're not going to lose your job, okay? So think about this. With healthcare being the dumpster fire that it is and the cost of insurance skyrocketing on employers, incentivizing workers to take even more time off while still being covered will further depress wages or disincentivize employers from hiring women who are unlikely to have children, who, who are likely to have children. Let me say that again. It's a little deep. It's kind of a deep point, but it's um it's very important that you're mixing an existing law with this new policy is going to further hurt women or across the board depress wages. Why? To begin with, we know healthcare is a dumpster fire. We know that more and more employers are shelling out more money, which is going to cut into your salary in order to pay these premiums. You all think it's free. If you're, you know, I'm in the individual market, so I see it directly. If you're in the group market, all right, my employer covers it. Yeah, but more and more, it's coming out of your paycheck. So under existing law, they have to hold open the jobs for women up to 12 weeks from maternity. That's not paid, but they have to hold open the job for you. Can't fire you. And but 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 you do maintain. 12 weeks worth of health insurance benefits even though you're not working, right? Okay, it's current law. If you step on the gas pedal and now mandate a way for them to get free payment, so let's say it's not coming from the employer, okay? It's coming from government and the taxpayer. They'll say, no, no, it's coming from the private social security. Okay, fine, private social security. But the point is you're mixing one government thing with another Again, more women clearly are going to be incentivized to push the envelope more the other way, meaning now they're often, you know, really after six weeks, they'll go back, most eight. Sometimes they'll try to even, if they feel pressed, they'll, they'll cut in after five weeks. Now they're going to more and more use this, utilize this more and more. And we'll be like, well, that's a great thing. We want them to utilize it. Fine. Again, if we had a pure free market, but the problem is you're mixing with other mandates and then the dumpster fire of healthcare. That's a huge liability on hiring women because as healthcare costs increase and more and more women are less productive at childbearing age, it's really – it's going to either come out of wages. That's what they're going to do. Wages are going to be depressed or it's just going to disincentivize employers to hire women. So um, it's just insane. Is utterly insane. It's insane. According to the Competitive Enterprise Institute, federal regulations cost families nearly $15,000 a year. Let's start with the Federal Reserve with CAFE standards on cars, ethanol mandate, Federal Reserve. If you want to help families, that's how to help them. And no, don't throw this pro-family crap at me. Suddenly we're, you know, it's funny. Like, 
these same people will not do anything to touch the left-wing culture war against family values. But suddenly when it comes to being for welfare in a conservative way, they're very pro-family. Dude, I got news for you. The primary factor drying up the replacement rate in this country, the reproduction, women having more children, is a cultural problem. It's not, oh, I got to work. It's hard to earn a living. It costs money. Because a lot of these high-powered career women, they're the types that have a lot of money. They're the families that have a lot of money. And, you know, look, I got married at 23, and my wife was 23, and we had a son a year later, you know, a year and three months later, our first son. And then, you know, two years later, we had a second son. A few years later, we had our third. So we didn't have nearly as much as these type of yuppies in their 30s who don't get married and have their first kid until they're 35. And, you know, both both parents have been working forever. It's not the money. It's the culture. Okay? They somehow think that they're going to solve the culture problem. Paid leave and expanding the child tax credit. Dude, like, that's just not where it's at. It's ridiculous. We just don't get it. But that, that's what it means to be a conservative nowadays. So that's the first thing. I didn't mean to spend so much time on that segment, but that's that's what it means to be a conservative. Full bore, two different bills, paid family leave. This is where we're at now. This is what it means to be a conservative, and there's no real pushback because nobody cares. Immigration. So yesterday... Or this is two days ago. I don't even know what yesterday is. Maybe they'll publish that. 4,117 migrants were apprehended. That is possibly the record you know, all, all of all time, certainly over the last decade. We're on an annualized, annualized pace of about 1.2 million. Now, that started in the middle of the year, so it will likely be probably, you know, 800,000 at the end of the year. Unless unless this continues to get even worse, which it likely will, then maybe we'll hit 1.2 million even with the lower numbers at the beginning of the fiscal year. And believe me, those numbers weren't low. At the time, we thought they were high. Every Border Patrol checkpoint in New Mexico and many parts of Texas are now completely shut down to become busboys for the illegals. Overall, across the entire border, 40% of all Border Patrol resources are now just transportation, processing, healthcare, you name it, for the illegals. And that's it. We are on pace to add to our illegal alien population of 1.5 million. Again, and that's on the lower trajectory. Because if you add the ones we're catching, the ones we don't, which we forget about, we don't catch all of them, plus roughly a half a million that will overstay their visa and we won't do anything about it. After we were promised in statute in 1996 to do something about it. You know, it's funny. Everything for illegals like, well, the law says you have to, even when the law doesn't, says you have to you know, let them in. But somehow the laws that guarantee Americans protection, somehow that you never have to do. Because we don't matter. We do not believe in ourselves as a sovereign nation. We don't believe in the veracity of our culture, of our history, of what we are as America. That's the difference between this generation and even just one generation ago. We would have never allowed a mass migration incident to get this insane this quickly, even after two months, much less after a year of this. And indeed, we didn't. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the consequences of a million and a half illegal aliens being added in one year. I want you to think about the needless people who will die, the crime that will result from it, the murders, the rapes, the drugs, the gangs. You know, I'm going to have an article out either today or tomorrow. Two more UACs that we treat as refugees, teens from Central America, that we resettle with other illegals in this country were caught in a murder plot and were indicted. You understand, they all came from that 2014 surge, and this surge, May 2014, looked like child's play. Total child's play. In the coming weeks, could you imagine what our schools are going to look like? The gang activity, 
40% of the MS-13 members in a lot of these things have been UACs. You know, um, I'm going to have a quote in this article from Mark Morgan, the head of former head of Border Patrol. He's been on the show a couple times. And he told me the following. Let me just pull this up here. As a police officer working in South Central Los Angeles and years later as an FBI supervisor of an MS-13 gang task force, I saw firsthand the transition of countless young kids into the world of gang membership. The reasons why are varied but have remained consistent status, recognition, protection, intimidation, brotherhood, and profit through criminal activity. The young immigrant population is increasingly susceptible and vulnerable to all the pull factors and drivers. They are often uneducated, unskilled, and lack a sense of belonging and purpose. This makes them a perfect target for gang recruitment. Then he noted that when he became Border Patrol chief years later, so you know, here he's seeing them the result, America being a dumping ground, so you see them dumped into America. But then looking backwards, looking backwards, where do they come from? Well, they come from the border. Especially these type, they're not overstaying visas. I mean, they're coming from the border, this type. And, well, what do you see at the border? Well, we, we're tall, tall, you know, we're all lectured about, oh, poor families and downtrodden. First of all, that doesn't make the liability on America worthwhile to the American people. But second of all, what you don't realize is that a lot of these kids are going to grow up to be problematic or already are. So what he told me, and I'm not at the quote yet, his, the, the next quote he gave me for this article is the following. As chief of Border Patrol, I would tour the detention facilities filled to capacity with unaccompanied minors, 17 years of age or younger, who had illegally entered the country. Alone and without any parents or guardians, as I looked at these groups, I saw both hardened young men as well as vulnerable and lost youth. With every encounter, I walked away wondering how many would be lured into joining a gang. The odds were not in their favor as they were released into a city somewhere in the U.S., never to be heard from again. And again, that was before the super surge. That was when the numbers were a fraction of what they are today when we thought that was a crisis. Remember all those months I would get on the air here and talk about the drug crisis came from the UACs? And now we have UACs and family units. And again, they're the same story mixed in all because of a lie. You know, I can't even keep track with the number of people being killed. There's been so many more I haven't written about. So many more we'll never know because it's not reported about in the media. Keep in mind, that, that that's the thing. I would love to start some sort of organization to track this because a lot of times it never even comes out that the guy was an illegal. But I want to link to in show notes a GoFundMe for um, a young woman, 28 years old, Paige Gomer, who was killed in Canadian County, Oklahoma, outside of Oklahoma City, by a 33-year-old Mexican illegal alien. She was driving, and he just fired point blank into her car. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know if there's a motive yet. I think she might have had a boyfriend who's Hispanic and maybe had what to do with this guy and it was a revenge for something I, somewhere along those lines. But she has a baby that now doesn't have a mother. Talk about separating families. Somehow that's not cool to talk about. Somehow we don't have a government of, by, and for the people to protect Americans from being separated from their kids in the grave by people who should never be in this country. But you can never temporarily separate those invading our, our soil in order to stop this invasion and protect everyone involved. That's the country we live in today. I don't think most people believe in that, but that's what our political class believes in, and we don't have a conservative movement to make this case. 
So there's a GoFundMe page up there. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you could donate generously. You know, this is not a gimmick. I mean, as you can tell, there's literally a baby that's one without a mother. And I, I don't know what her story is, if she was divorced, if it was out of the wedlock. I mean, I don't know how, you know, where, where there was a man involved, but it doesn't appear that there's a surviving husband, at least, of this woman. So there you go. Paige Gomer, another name you will never hear about because they don't matter. They don't matter because we don't believe in ourselves. We believe that our government is only virtuous if it's for other people, not for its citizenry. That, in a nutshell, is the problem with our government today. We have so many, so many distractions here, so many false dichotomies of, well, the law says this. There's nothing we can do. We can't stop an invasion. You know, a couple of times I just almost hung up. I was on these radio interviews and I just like, well, Danny, but, but the courts are going to say you can't do it. You can't. And I, I just like started stammering. I was like, uh, I don't know what to tell you guys anymore. No other generation would have talked like that. The laws do not say this. The laws say the opposite. Okay, let's summarize. There's two things that's happening. You put them together that is creating the severity of the problem, and they're wrong. It's the administration crafting policy based on their perception of the most liberal district court judges in contravention to every other statute, every other case law, two Supreme Court cases on the president's unilateral, unilateral authority to shut off migration as well as other district judges who would totally say differently if you went to them. It's not the law. So there's two things. Two things. Well, really, really three things, but the two kind of tied together. There's family units and unaccompanied teens, which, again, it's the same demographic. It's just how they game us out. Sometimes they'll send the kid alone. Sometimes It's the same family. Sometimes they'll come together. Now they're more inclined to come together because now we're not just giving amnesty to the teen but to the parents of the teen as well. But basically we're saying this. Anyone who comes to our border as a teen, we have to treat them as downright a refugee, meaning they downright get affirmative status and eventually a green card eventually citizenship, and get resettled literally just like we resettle refugees, you know, the ones we take from the Middle East or wherever else, from Nepal and Congo and Ukraine. And we totally resettle them. And they're here forever. You can't even deport them even if you go through a process because they're treated like legal immigrants. Then we, we have this notion that anyone who comes here to claim credible fear, no matter how clear it is that prima facie, it is a fraud. You have to countenance their request. You have to bring them in. And then number three, once you bring them in, if they have a kid, they have to be released within 20 days because of this Flores agreement in the courts in 1997. Okay. And so, so what that has done is it's created a checkmate where it's not even about apprehension numbers anymore, like how many illegals, how many people did we let in? How many people did we apprehend? It's not about that anymore. There's no such thing as illegal immigration. We abolished our immigration laws. Okay, We essentially said that the one judge's reading of two things, which is the opposite of what it says, voids out the entire INA and the intent behind it in 1952 and 1980, and in 1996, certainly, nothing else matters. We don't have illegal immigration anymore. We uh, let me let me say it very clear. We do not. It, 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 this is where the border wall doesn't help. Border wall blocks out illegal immigrants. We're saying that they're legal. That we have to bring them in. Anyone who comes as a kid, even if they are self smuggled, and I'm going to get to that in a minute by another illegal alien family that should be deported themselves, but we complete the criminal conspiracy 
of the cartels and deliver them to the hands of the people doing it. And they're here to stay. Anyone who comes with a kid, they're here to stay and they're released. Anyone who comes, even if they're not a kid, could say credible fear and we let them in. Now you'd say at least those people, there would be a deterrent that them we could hold. But here's what's happened. What they've done, and this is purposeful, is they flooded our system with the other guys so much that there's so many of them that we don't even have the ability to hold even single adults. So therefore, they're caught and released. I don't think you guys fully appreciate this. This is not amnesty anymore. This is de facto open borders for 7.8 billion people. De facto, there's no such thing as an illegal immigrant. It's the law, Daniel. What what, what do you mean? Don't we have all these laws against it? And even conservative media just lops it up. There's nothing you can do until Congress acts. Not that they're pressuring McConnell in the Senate to even vote on anything. That's a whole other story. And it's just not true. First off, first off, the notion that anyone declaring asylum just at the front end has to be let in is just nonsense. I told you already from the Haitians, President Clinton said, we know you're coming for economic reasons. We're not letting you in. You never have to read something like Amelia Bedelia. When you have a law that's written for victims and you have fraudsters openly gaming it out, you don't have to say, well, we have to adjudicate it in court. Again, this is not like in America where you're an American and there's a criminal case and I know you did it. I know you did the robbery. I know you did it. Well, I can't say I know you did it. You got to have an adjudication. You got to have due process. That's if I want to lock you up. But to let you a foreign national into my country in the first place, I don't have to adjudicate it. If I know that you're not, I mean, if we can't understand, well, but the laws are you have to, uh, they have to be able to apply. No. I, where's the limit? If the entire Guatemala declares asylum, if the president of Guatemala announces, I am sending whatever million people are in that country right now for asylum, there's not going to be a single person left in Guatemala. Would we say, until Congress changes the law, there's nothing I can do. I mean, are we retarded? We are utterly retarded as a people. And it's not an exaggeration. We're emptying out everywhere. It's Now it's Nicaragua, it's Haiti, it's Cuba. They're coming. And before the show, I spoke to my buddy Todd Benzman. He took a trip to Hungary. And he just wanted to see what they did with their border wall and their policies. And he told me exactly what I was saying. Like, it's not just the wall, it's the will. They, they believe in their nation. And they will not allow it to be overrun. They just will not deal with this. It's not a matter of a technicality what type of border wall you have, they believe in their nation. So they're not going to allow it. It's done. It's that simple. That's what it is. We don't believe in a nation. This is not about a technicality anymore. We're way beyond the suicide pact level. Way beyond that. But um, that's the story. You don't have to let them in. Um, I don't know what more to say. Now, I'm thankful that the president did hint to shutting down the border today. And I'm pretty sure he, like I said, I think, you know, look, just to get, put, put a positive face on this, um, and I think we should all be proud of this. I think he is hearing us out. It would be helpful if people with bigger megaphones did this, but I, I am pretty sure he is. Let's just say I've been informed that he is definitely aware of, of me personally. 
Um, and I'm thankful for that. Not because I want any notoriety or even a meeting with him or anything, but just because I want him to do the right thing. I, I, I care about our country. This is this is something we cannot allow to go on. But the bottom line is we gotta we gotta push him into doing it and then and then back it up. Let me, let me address another point here. In terms of believing in our in our in our sense of purpose and who we are. A lot of people accuse our audience and people like me, people like us as being nationalists. And and some on our on our side are even embracing the label. Yeah, I'm a nationalist. And what I think everyone's missing is that the entire ideological spectrum and barometer is is totally not calibrated correctly. It's all skewed on a personal level of course i don't consider myself a nationalist a european style nationalist we believe in american patriotism based on the constitution where we focus mainly on individual rights and family not on worshiping the soil that's not what we are but of course of course we understood it was unspoken we never had to talk about that because they think, oh, we're suddenly talking about like you know nationhood and sovereignty a lot, so we're like nationalists. Well, we never had to talk about it because it was understood as a baseline that, of course, we're mainly about individual rights. But in order to have that preservation, you have to have a modicum of a common culture, a common nation state, a common civil society that has this government that cares for that. You know, it's not like a European nationalist culture. We don't believe in that, and you know, it doesn't have to be completely homogenous. But there are limits. There's no greater authority on what America is and isn't and should be than George Washington himself. You look at his his farewell address, and he said the following. For this, you have every inducement of sympathy and interest. Citizens by birth or choice of a common country, that country has a right to concentrate your affections. The name of American which belongs to you in your national capacity must always exalt the just pride of patriotism more than any Appellation derived from local discriminations. Again, and keep in mind, back then, to the extent they weren't into America, it wasn't because they were considered themselves globalist citizens of the world. If anything, it was even more um, uh, sectarian or whatever you'd call it, more tribal. That it, it was the local, you know, it was, it was the states. The states were still very strong back then. And, and, and then he said the following: "Quote with slight shades of difference." Look at these words. With slight shades of difference, you have the same religion, manners, habits, and political principles. You have in a common cause fought and triumphed together. The independence and liberty you possess are the work of joint councils and joint efforts of common danger, sufferings, and successes. There's a lot of profundity in that. There's a lot of profundity in that. Common country, common cause, with slight shades of difference. You have the same religion, manners, habits, and political principles. You know, what Todd was describing me is like, look, you look at Hungary. It's a homogenous society. There's no Balkanism. They're, they're just like, dude, we're not going to dilute ourselves. In America, it doesn't have to be like we're all Hungarians. We're all, you know, but that's not what George Washington is describing. If you remember, George Washington wrote a series of letters to certain more minority out of favor Protestant denominations to one to Catholics and one to the Toro synagogue in Rhode Island, um, a Jewish uh, institution praising them and, and how they fit into America. And that's the thing, you know, he certainly, we understood we'll have different shades, you know, but we all unite under a common cause. Now, it, it's unspoken, but it need, it need not be said that you reach a certain point in terms of numbers and types and types of countries. Again, you know, it, let, let's just call a spade a spade. Canada is a lot closer to America than Guatemala is in terms of what it is. So in terms of numbers, time, and, and, and country of origin, it all mixes in. It's one big chemical compound. At some point, you are fundamentally transforming America. At some point, no, it's with slight shades of differences. You're all uniting under common cause. And that's what it is. 
That's what it means to be an American. We don't believe in that anymore. We believe in the opposite, and that's why we don't take care. We don't we don't recognize invasion. So shut up with the Flores thing and this law, this court. Nothing to do with that. Any nation that believed in itself would have easily put an end to this a year ago. Much less over the last few months. But nonetheless, let me move on to tell you that this is not what the law says. Let's move on to the UACs. I've said this a number of times. I'm the only one who says this. I don't understand why the Trump administration doesn't even assert it in court, much less to the public. None of these teens are unaccompanied minors as described by statute that's eligible to be turned over to the Office of Refugee Resettlement. Okay? Our people, through our elected representatives, passed a law to say that people who are kidnapped and brought here by cartels against their will and they have nowhere to go, no place to go, we are going to treat them like refugees. Makes sense. What is happening now is these very families are paying, who already have family members in America illegally that themselves need to be deported are paying smugglers and empowering them to bring in their people and be delivered to them, to bring in these kids. So that means they're not a victim of a severe form of trafficking, which is the uh, uh, language of the statute. They are self-trafficked. And B, they're not here without guardians because it's – not only do they have guardians, they're the ones doing the trafficking. It is the most – it is literally flipping it on, on its head. You can never write a statute more clear than that statute, and if you're going to use it for the antithetical outcome of what it's doing, I, I can't help you. That law doesn't need to be fixed. There's nothing to fix. I'm sorry. It was obvious to everyone that that was the law. Obama was the first one who started to just openly treat everyone like a UAC. And Texas took them to Judge Hannon. Now, he didn't directly issue an order on it. It was a a different type of case. But in it, he launched into a tirade against administration. And basically what everyone now, including the administration and conservative talkers, are saying is the law is not the law. It's Judge Dolly G and a handful of these other AL judges saying it, that Judge Andrew Hannon, another judge, if you would go to him, he would tell you that it is illegal to do this. That if an American would do this, if a private citizen would do this, he would be arrested. Let me read it to you. This is from December uh, 2013. December 19th. On May 18, 2013, Nava Martinez, an admitted human trafficker, was caught at the Brownsville checkpoint. She was trying to smuggle YPS, that's a minor, into the United States using a birth certificate that belonged to one of her daughters. Nava Martinez had no prior relationship with YPS and was hired by persons unknown solely to smuggle her into the United States. Nava Martinez is a resident alien, and this was her second felony offense in three years, having committed a food stamp fraud offense in 2011. She was paid for smuggling YPS from Manamoros to Brownsville, although the identity of her immediate payer and the amount are unknown. The details as to how YPS got to Manamoros, Mexico from El Salvador, and how she was to get from Brownsville to Virginia was also not disclosed to the court. The conspiracy was started when Patricia Elizabeth Salmeron Santos solicited human traffickers to smuggle YPS from El Salvador to Virginia, right? She's Salmeron Santos currently lives illegally in the United States. Okay. This is exactly what's going on now. And again, Virginia is a big hotspot because we fundamentally transformed it. Um, despite being denied legal entry to the United States, she entered the United States illegal and is living in Virginia. Salmeron Santos admitted that she started this conspiracy by hiring alien smugglers to transfer her child from El Salvador to Virginia. She agreed to pay $8,500 for these human traffickers to smuggle her daughter. The criminal conspiracy instigated by Salmeron Santos was temporarily interrupted when Nava Martinez was arrested. 
Despite the setback, the goal of the conspiracy was successfully completed thanks to the actions of the United States government. This court is quite concerned with the apparent policy of DHS of completing the criminal mission of individuals who are violating the border security of the United States. CBP agents stopped the defendant at the border inspection point. She was arrested and the child was taken into custody. DHS officials were notified that Salmeron Santos instigated this illegal conduct. Yet instead of arresting Salmeron Santos for instigating the conspiracy to violate our border security laws, the DHS delivered the child to her, thus successfully completing the mission of the criminal conspiracy. It did not arrest her. It did not prosecute her. It did not even initiate deportation proceedings for her. The DHS policy is a dangerous course of action. The DHS, instead of enforcing our border security laws, actually assisted the criminal conspiracy in achieving its illegal goals. The government's actions were not done in connection with a sting operation or a controlled delivery situation. Rather, the actions it took were directly in furtherance of YPS's illegal presence in the United States. It completed the mission of the conspiracy initiated by Salmeron Santos. In summary, instead of enforcing the laws of the United States, the government took direct steps to help the individuals who violated it. A private citizen would and should be prosecuted for this conduct. So, folks, what what we are told is the law, and random district judges are saying it. Here you have another district judge who in 2013, when Obama was doing it, said that it is antithetical to the law. You're breaking the real laws by doing this. You must not do it. Okay? This is the fourth case with the same factual situation this court has had in as many weeks. In all of the cases, human traffickers who smuggled minor children were apprehended short of delivering the children to their ultimate destination. In all cases, a parent, if not both parents, of the children was in this country illegally. That parent initiated the conspiracy to smuggle the minors into the country illegally. He or she also funded the conspiracy. In each case, the DHS completed the criminal conspiracy instead of enforcing the laws of the United States by delivering the minors to the custody of the parent illegally in the United States. Then he goes on to say, in response to this court's inquiry, inquiry, inquiry about this policy, In this instant case, the government responded with a copy of the 1997 Flores v. Reno settlement agreement and a copy of a portion of the Homeland Security Act. No other explanation was offered, no doubt, because there is no explanation. The DHS has simply chosen not to enforce the United States' border security laws. So notice how even before we explain Flores, he says, everyone forgets about all the other laws. It's like all the other laws don't matter because we're going to hyper-literally and ignore the qualifications of one statute and take it to the gates of hell of Amelia Bedelia style pathetic literalism and ignore the letter and spirit of everything else. Nonetheless, he said the following about Flores. This court understands that the government had previously entered into the Flores settlement regarding its practices, policies, and regulations regarding the treatment and detention of unaccompanied minors. Since that order is apparently sealed, this court will not quote in detail my specific language and any specific language, generally the settlement requires the government to release a minor to his or her parent, guardian, or relative, among others, in an order of preference established by the settlement documents. There is nothing in this settlement that prohibits the DHS from arresting Salmeron Santos, the individual who initiated this conspiracy, or from at least initiating deportation proceedings. There was also no explanation of why this settlement agreement, whose terms terminated five years after the date of the final court approval, is still even effective. Okay? And then I'm just skipping towards the end of the order. He says... Nevertheless, neither the Flora settlement nor a concern for common decency compels the government to not only aid but also reward an individual for initiating a scheme to break the laws governing the border security of the, of, of the, of the country. You'll never hear this anywhere else, folks. You have a district judge said that what the Obama administration did and now this administration is doing in mass numbers under the premise that Dolly G said so well, this judge believes it is unlawful to do that. I mean, Trump should read this in a live speech and say, look, at least until the Supreme Court, I mean, again, God forbid you, the Supreme Court's God, at least until they weigh in, 
going to listen to this district judge. But no. What, what a crock. But here we are today <clears throat> with an invasion so severe, all built on a lie. This judge believes that the Flores settlement um, expired after five years, which would have been 2002. And notice at the time he was like, what Flores? I Meaning even if it wouldn't have expired, if you look at his language, it's like, dude, no Flores agreement is going to ever compel, permit, much less compel you to complete, complete this criminal conspiracy, this fraud. This is how recent, this is how far we've fallen in about five years as a conservative people, the Trump administration, Republicans in Congress, conservative talkers, well, bunch of losers don't believe in themselves anymore. Until recently, it was like, what? Are you kidding me? There was never a time where we had a mass migration incident that we didn't shut it down. Let me go back. Let me go back to... um. The Nicaragua case. We explained the Haitian case last week. What about the Nicaraguan case? Okay. And this is very important. I want you guys to listen carefully. In 1989, guess what happened? Well, a bunch of Nicaraguans came to, to our border. It was, you know, the early part of 1989. Now, they were, they were coming on and off for a while. It was on and off, on and off. But then it really blew open in um, the beginning of 1989. Now, the background is very important here because... When it comes to this case, there actually was much more prima facie legitimacy to asylum claims. Keep in mind, these were people largely believed to have been, well, obviously it was a dung hole, so it was also economic, but they, they were fleeing the Sandinistas. And this was still Cold War era politics. Very much, we had a vested interest in wanting them here, you know, kind of like what on and off with the Cubans. Remember, here there is no reason we'd want the Guatemalans. There's no reason for it. There, there was a reason. Remember, the Reagan's whole, you know, crusade of, of, of his presence. He was in the Cold War, and it was to defeat communism. And he had the Contras. I mean, that ensnared him in the worst scandal of his administration. He was trying to undermine the Ortega administration, the Sandinistas. So, what's his name? Um, Ed Meese actually crafted a policy. He made a special, it was executive. No, it's not a statute. To give them, basically, this protected status that more or less you could come here and we're going to give you asylum. He actually did that. But it's important to remember, the laws that were on the books, meaning I said, well, Daniel, that was then. That was after 1952 and after 1980 Refugee Act. So the statutes were the same as they are today. If anything, they're a little bit stronger after 1996. Okay, same thing. Now there, we had a reason to do it. And indeed, 70% of those people that wound up being adjudicated got asylum, whereas almost all of these are rejected, right? But what happened? What happened? Eventually, after a couple of months, you know, again, it was on and off, but when it became mass numbers, late 1988, early 1989, then they're like, dude, I, I mean, we want to fight the Sandinistas, but we can't have this. Again, that was the mentality back then. Federal government announced plans to detain Central Americans who file invalid claims for political asylum to hold them in a tent city. Okay, done. What, what were the results? I spent $2.99 for this to get an archived Miami Herald article. 
This was April 24th, 1989. Guy Gugliotta of the Miami Herald. Nicaraguan exodus slows with new rule. The Nicaraguan exodus has slowed dramatically since the United States immigration authorities put tougher political asylum guidelines into practice two months ago. Um, let's see. I'm just going to skip through some of the parts here. And what's interesting is they, they go on to explain how the policy was working, but then they said then they were evading. You know, they went to back to the traditional legal immigration model. But we would love for that to happen because back then, remember, in 1989, we had very slim resources. Today, we have the resources. We could deal with that. What we can't deal with is the lawfare where they openly come in and we say they, they have to be – it's the policies that they're being – the Border Patrol is being directed. If you unleash the Border Patrol with the resources they have today and just say, hold the line, interdict and stop and push back, you know, they could do that. So the article is trying to kind of poo-poo a little bit how, oh, they're still going to come in clandestinely, but but that's fine. U.S. Border Patrol statistics compiled in McAllen, Texas, showed that 603 non-Mexican aliens were arrested between Brownsville and Laredo in the first 10 days of April, down from 1899 from the same period in March. Notice, notice what was the crisis? Less than 2,000 of these Nicaraguans. And then they got it down to 600. With these policies. Ten cities. Where are we today? We have... In one day... Over 4,000. One day over 4,000. And we won't act. We are such pathetic losers. And when I say we, I mean... People involved in politics on the right side of the aisle in America. There is nothing in law that could ever compel such a result, and indeed it doesn't. The only thing you could tell me that changed is the law didn't change, but the Flores settlement came in 97. But again, we have a district judge saying it expired in five years. Five years, and again, you would never use that for a mass migration incident of historical proportions. You would never do that. You ju- there's just nothing in law that can compel such a result. Nothing, ever. We got to understand that. We got to believe in ourselves. Like the court said... In 1889, precedent that the Supreme Court to this day still cites, jurisdiction over its own territory to that extent is an incident of every independent nation. It is a part of its independence. If it could not exclude aliens, it would be to that subject, it, 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 it would be to that extent subject to the control of another power. And that's what we are. We are not sovereign, meaning free from external control. Our destiny is now totally in the hands of external forces. Of course, I want Mitch McConnell in the Senate to have good messaging bills and hit the Democrats over the head with them, and I wish he would do that. But we are so beyond that. This is so much more fundamental. We could talk about fixing statutes down the road. This is a matter of we're a nation or we're not, we're a government or we're not. Our constitution means something or it doesn't. This is beyond a suicide pact. And again, we haven't been building this case for the months and years that it's been necessary, but this is what the president needs to do. Stephen Miller needs to write him speeches along these lines. And, um, you know, this is, this is what it is. it's just so depressing to see how we've just shut ourselves down. Under the Obama administration, we would have said this is criminal. Indeed, that's what we did say. I was writing for, I mean, it was just when we started Conservative Review. I was writing other places. You know, 
It was like it was yesterday. And we all understood that it was unlawful. And now suddenly we're like, well, he, what, what do you want Trump to do? It's the law. I don't know. I just don't know what to tell you guys. All we can do is keep banging away at this point, which I'm going to keep doing different ways, different points, get in the president's face somehow. Hopefully other people that have direct access, I certainly do not, will get it to him and he'll act. And then hopefully once he acts, then and only then, Will it be okay for phony conservatives to focus on it? And look, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll, I'll, I need as much help as I can get and as much of a megaphone as I can get. And if they'll repeat our talking points rather than stupid talking points, that, that, that's a win. But we got to remain focused, and that's what we're going to do. Um, there is so much. I meant to talk about the courts today. So much insanity going on there um, that I think there's teachable moments for what we need to do with the courts uh, maybe we'll get to tomorrow if we have time. Till tomorrow, questions, comments, and concerns are always welcome at dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. Tweet me at, at rmconservative. Have a blessed evening. Take care and God bless.